Hello, friends. Hello, 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 friends. A tradition unlike any other. Oh, 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 my goodness. In your life have you seen anything like that? There it is. Adam Scott, a life changer. Mashed potato. Here it, here it, here it, here it comes. This is the 19th Tea Podcast, Kieran Marsh. Nathan Drudy back with you for another week. Drewster, not a name that I envisaged we'd see at the top of the leaderboard in the first tournament post-Masters, but 47-year-old Stuart Sink, a winner for the eighth time on the PGA Tour, with the third time for this specific tournament, uh, known by a different name back in the early 2000s when he knocked it off twice, but uh, a comfortable winner in the end, the RBC Heritage over the weekend. Yeah, just um, just bizarre, isn't it? Doesn't master the week after Masters always just throw up something weird? Um, but good on Stewie. I mean, just breathing a new new lease of life at the moment is uh, is Stuart Singh, forty seven years old. But um, we must toast him. Plenty to get through this evening. We will toast Stuart Singh in just a moment. Thanks to our good friends at Gage Roads, but of course a drought breaking victory for Lydia Ko on the LPGA Tour. We've got some great news around the Australian uh, summer for 202122 coming up as well, Drudes. And some Aussie juniors plying their way across the weekend as well. So a bit to get through tonight, but as we do uh, at the start of every Monday night, we toast our winner thanks to WA's premier independent brewery for more than 15 years, Gage Roads Brewing Company, named after the strip of ocean that separates Frotnest and from Antwil, a pipe dreams in my hand tonight for Stewie Sink. Drudes. Yeah, same. Yeah, same. Uh, types me uh, you know, a bit of a lager man. I was out at the uh, Froth Town Craft Beer Fest over here in Perth mm. over on uh, Friday night. It was was one of the or was the best um, craft beer festival that I've been to and visited the Gage Roads tent. They've got a new beer out, which is uh, absolutely delicious as well. It would probably explain why I had the worst range session I reckon I've had in two years on Saturday. I just thought I'd go and hit a couple of couple of golf balls on Saturday afternoon. I had six in a row. I counted them six cold hard tops with a three wood off the tee. Wow, eh? um, yeah, pretty average. But anyway, Gage Roads, delicious beer. Let me throw some stats at you. Multiple time winners this season on the PGA Tour. Bryson DeChambeau, Stuart Sink. That's the list. <laughs> Drudes, you couldn't get course. two more polar opposite style of golfer as well. And I saw one, I saw something today as well that blew me away. And I don't know why, but Stuart Sink has more wins this year than Tony Finau has in his career. Like, yes, correct. So <laughs> I mentioned, I mentioned the eighth win, uh, eighth PJ tour victory of his career. His seventh came back in September of last year at the Safeway mm. uh, where he beat Harry Higgs by two strokes. So you're correct. Not only, um, in the last year, in the last six months, Drews, he's got more wins than Tony Fina has in his career. Mm, absolutely. I mean, like, is Stuart Sink one of the most forgettable major champions? Yeah. Well, I, I, I had to, I took a double take today when I saw he won the Open Championship. I completely forgot That's it. News to I me. Completely forgot that he won the 2009 Open. Absolute news to me. Incredible career, really. I, I would think, um, I, I suppose, forgotten men in general. I mean, we're talking about, as I said, uh, eight times now in the PGA Tour, 15 times worldwide, north of $40 million in career earnings. Yeah. Uh, this is a, <laughs> this, he's had a fair career, Dresden. And I mean, 
I spoke about that multiple wins, uh, Bryson and Stuart Sink this year. Multiple wins in a PGA Tour season by players aged 47 or older since 1960. Uh, Sam Snead, Julius Boros, Kenny Perry twice, and now Stuart Sink. Um, longest gap between um, uh, multi-win seasons on the PGA Tour. Uh, he had one in 2004 and, and this year, and uh, not since Steve Stricker in 96, 2009 has that happened. It's it's the longest gap of multi-win seasons uh, of any player on the PGA Tour. So we're talking about a guy with longevity as well. A guy at 47 who's still striping a ball, Drew's. Yeah, he is. And and I guess that's probably sort of the reason that, you know, we say that we forget that he's won an open and, you know, kind of forget about him a little bit. He's been playing very good golf this year, but um, yeah, a long, long time between victories. Um, but as you mentioned, yeah, just hitting the ball so well. I mean, you know, isn't isn't really, doesn't belt the ball a, a hell of a long way, 26 in driving distance, which I guess for a 47-year-old is not too bad, but Really, really good, uh, you know, strokes gained approach. The green uh, ranks 30th there and, um, you know, 59th overall in, in strokes gained uh, tee to green as well. So, um, yeah, pretty pretty good golf. He's playing some of uh, – he's winding the clock back, his big stew. I'll tell you what I was impressed by. Uh, that was his scramble and his consistency. I mean, you mentioned the consistency of this season. The consistency across this weekend, Druids. <laughs> Phenomenal in and of itself. He opened with a bogey uh, first hole Thursday. He went through his next 60 holes without dropping a shot. Mm. It's pretty pretty bloody good golf, isn't it? <laughs> Around a tight course like Hilton Head, um, so critical. you know. And guys half his age were having twice his problems. And that's the control of the golf ball that comes with a player of experience, you know, a player who has had, um, you know, countless years in the PGA Tour. A player who'd started 14 times in the PGA Tour before Colin Morikawa was even born. <laughs> One of his strongest challenges, save for a, a final round fade out today. I mean, Sink has been around for some time and in many respects that shone through across the weekend. Yeah, it did. I mean, the ultimate journeyman in many ways. We were just talking about uh, journeymen and journeywomen, uh, you know, a short time ago. He's uh, he's been around for a long time. He's he's achieved a hell of a lot in his career. I think you know, as we sort of mentioned, that he his first PGA Tour victory coming back in '97, and you know, having gone on and represented the, the US at the President's Cup and the Ryder Cup nine times in total. Like he's uh, he's had a hell of a hell of a career, and I think you know, people obviously. Um, forget about it. And I mean, you know, it's probably the the nature of where we've been at in our golfing journeys is we weren't perhaps the biggest golf fans when Stewie was doing his, uh, doing his best work, but um, yeah, he's, he has had a hell of a career. And I think, um, I mean, I, I don't know that I really expected a, another win. I mean, Safeway came as um, very much a, a shock, but he has played, you know, pretty good golf. I mean, T19 at the Honda T12 last week at the masters, um, and then a win this week. Like it's, he's been in pretty handy form. Well, you and I having this conversation last Monday mm. when we said 47-year-old Stuart Singh has wrapped up his spot at the Masters for next year <laughs> by virtue of uh, um, 12th and ties. Yeah. Like, it's just unbelievable. And to be fair, he had it. I mean, I don't want to say sewn up from Friday, but back-to-back 63s, Thursday, Friday. That was done. We all got caught up by uh, Cameron Smith's 62 on Thursday, and we thought Smithy was going to go wire to wire, but really, by the end of the second round, it, it looked pretty comfortable for for Stewie Singh. 
Yeah, well, I mean, he only shot one under today. I mean, outside of Colin Morikawa, uh, you know, there, there weren't many players that were shooting less than sort of two, three, four under uh, on the day. Some players were, were firing a, a six under, like Charles Howell, and uh, I think DJ flew home as well today with with five under. Um, yeah, so to, to only only shoot one under par on on the Sunday and still walk away with a short uh, four shot victory over over two pretty handy players and Harold Varner and Emiliano Grillo is um yeah not a not a bad way to play golf just wrap it up inside two days and and coast home I guess uh, I mean if it wasn't done by Friday it seemed fait accompli by Saturday uh he he'd shot 195 through three rounds which was a 54 hole tournament record hmm. at the RBC Heritage so just so comfortable what wasn't comfortable Drew is I don't know if you caught this and uh, I'm reticent to go to this unless you've got anything more serious to talk about, Stuart Singh, because this is slightly novel. No, but I, I think I know what you're going to talk about. What doesn't look comfortable um, is the the hat tan. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that seems generational in the Sink family. Uh, of course, his son was on the bag uh, across the weekend and has earned himself a pretty penny by virtue of the commission uh, of a winning check. But goodness gracious me, the hat tan on Sink Senior and Sink Junior, outstanding. Pretty bad, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> it's pretty bad. I mean, like, cool story though to have his son on the back as well. But the pretty, uh, the the the. I mean, yeah, it just looks embarrassing. I mean, you you know it's coming when he takes his hat off, and it's still funny every time. It's so so novel. But how do you think? Uh, do you think Stewie's paying his son? Like, uh, I was I was thinking about this today. I thought, you know, maybe he's putting some investment away. Like, he, maybe he's giving him seven percent now, and he's getting three percent. Put it, put it in an investment account for him later on in life. I don't know. Do you think he's getting the full ten percent? Could be a trust situation. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Like, um, and I don't mean going, like, I'll put this, you know, put this away for your future, chief. Could be. I mean, I would. I'd be incredibly surprised if you're shorting him. Uh, I don't think he may not be getting full freight now, but I imagine he would be getting the full clip at some period of time. Not bad. I mean, not not suggesting that there wasn't work going into it, but your dad's a pro and he's giving you the week on the bag. Really, your, your job is to. Um, clean the grooves, um, make sure that the towel uh, remains relatively dry, um, feed, water. I mean, you're not probably giving he did have a fair bit he, of advice. He did have a little bit at times, like he was asking about the wind and stuff, which was cool, mm. Um, mm. which Look, I liked. I, I don't want to diminish it, but, like, I'm not going to suggest he's, you know, he's, he's Michael Greller um, or his bones. Um, but, you know, who knows? It, it could be ahead of him. Maybe... Maybe he's identified a bit of a, a niche here to turn himself into a full-time looper moving forward. Because dad, I mean, realistically, dad's transitioning to the Champions Tour in a couple of years, and mm. that's probably not where the money is for caddies. So, give yeah, it shit. It'd be fun. Oh, wouldn't it? You'd be going around having a hell of a time. But uh, maybe, maybe Sink Junior's carving himself a little bit of a career as a looper moving forward. I would love to be a caddy. Would you? Would you enjoy it? Uh, I think for a period of time. I don't think there's a lot of longevity unless you you're onto a winner, so they say. But the opportunity to, I mean, go to some of the best courses in the world um, is is difficult to pass up. Uh, I, I think I would like to experience it once or twice. Yes, I'm going to try and reach out when the WA Open comes over and see if anyone needs a needs a caddy. If anyone's caddy. playing it, but like you know, I've seen people where they sort of um, like they put the 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 bag on the back of a cart and stuff and you know push the cart around but if I'm doing it I'm going the whole hog I'm carrying for for four days hundred percent like and I can deal I'll just deal with the stuffed back for the next like two weeks afterwards but at least I've done it properly 
I like the fact you've already backed yourself into four days too. Whoever you're oh, 100%. You know, caddying for in this hypothetical situation has made the cut yeah, and is going deep into Sunday, clearly. I'm not here to fuck spiders. <laughs> we have a few questions, uh, Drews, uh, uh, that I think that I think relate directly to Stuart Singh's victory. Does this mean we don't have to roll the ball back? Um, that's from four to four golf. Uh, I, I would no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so I'd say... And this is going to sound strange given he's won twice. I'd say Stuart Sink's win, um, not an anomaly, but certainly a, a horses for courses there at Hilton Head, uh, has a very um, unique game style that, that plays well on the, uh, the, the, the tight nature mm. of Hilton Head that puts a premium in accuracy and, and your playing position from the fairway. So no uh, would be the, the straight answer to that. I still think that there's a case to be made for rolling the ball back and I wouldn't 100%. necessarily use Hilton Head as the example to to show that. Well, I will use Hilton Head as the example. Did you see, I think it was on Golf Digest, where they put up an extra fucking net mm. with a crane because Bryson was smashing the ball too far and then obviously pulled out of this week's tournament. That but indeed. Mike, that's a... Fantastic example of, you know, I think we need to roll the ball back. The ball is flying way too far. It's not a massive driving range from what I can understand. I think there was a Golf Digest article that I read this on. I can't remember if it was Golf Digest or somewhere, but um, if you yeah, haven't seen a, it, not a big driving range. Yeah, if you haven't seen it, go for a look. Essentially, uh, the club uh, hired two cranes to position themselves at the end of the driving range and erect extra netting above the netting boundary that currently exists um considerable amount of money from the reports and funnily enough there were still players driving over the extra netting so yeah look roll it back if roll it back would be uh would be our answer thanks four to four i i think i i referenced this before in a question from dane m Suddy. Uh, why do you think players shoot the lights out then play average just 28 to 48 hours later an example being cam smith i mean Dane, if we had the answer to that question, we probably wouldn't be hosting this podcast. We'd be getting paid millions as golf mental coaches. Um, because Can we touch on Cam Smith? Yeah, absolutely. It's just one of the great frustrating novelties of this game of golf that you can shoot um, a course record 62 mm. uh, on the opening day of the tournament and come out and hit even par on Friday. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> it's it's very frustrating because I think we – I think at this point in time, you know, um, we've probably been, you know, we go through the journey of, of who's Australia's leading golfer on the PGA Tour. And I, I think I'm very confident in saying that it's Cameron Smith at the moment. Um, I would then probably, if I'm ranking, if I'm ranking the big four, uh, knowing that we've got guys like like Matty Jones and Cam Davis also playing very well, I'm thinking it's probably Smith, Leishman, Scott and Jason Day is probably a pretty distant fourth at the moment. But he seems to be our leading contender every every tournament that it comes to. And, you know, I was elated when I woke up and saw that he'd shot a 62. I thought, awesome. We're finally going to get to see another Cameron Smith win. You know, we were also hopeful last week at Augusta. And then to come out and shoot 71 on the Friday was deflating, um, just not going anywhere on the leaderboard. And then to shoot 74 on Saturday when so many other guys are starting to make a move, you know, our overall winner, uh, Stuart Sink is shooting a 69. Mav McNeely is shooting 66. Like the guys around him are starting to move. Webb Simpson with a 64. Like it's just frustrating. And then the worst part is he comes out on Sunday and shoots a 66, five under 66, and fires up 18 spots on the leaderboard. Like just 
just keep just keep being bad if that's what we're going to do. Like, don't don't bloody tempt me with the carrot again, Cameron. Yeah, I, well, I mean, it was deflating to to echo your sentiments. What happened on Friday just felt like so much momentum. Felt mm. like, I mean, really felt like what Stuart Sink did on Thursday, Friday, is what Cam Smith should have done. Absolutely. Uh, and unfortunately faded on Friday and, and, and never really got himself back in it. I am willing to maybe provide a pass in the sense that it's the week after the Masters. I mean, you look at someone like Will Zalatoris who um, almost stole the tournament at Augusta National in the most um, amazing of, of, of fashions and he finished five under um, having gone even par two over in the last two rounds. Mm. Uh, this weekend, so there's a bit of a bit of a may a masters hangover for people who contend. And you know, Cam Smith was at the business end again uh, in the tournament at Augusta last week. So I'm prepared to, I suppose, provide him a bit of a pass. But again, it's I suppose we get wrapped up. You know, we wake up and we catch the last maybe nine holes of Thursday morning, and and he's lit the place on fire. Uh, and, and then to I suppose not necessarily deliver on that promise is. Yeah, it's disappointing when you know what he is capable of. Yeah, 100%. And, I mean, yeah, I, I think we've summed it up pretty well. Disappointing is, is a good way to put it because um, I think we know the the, the, ta- <clears throat> the talent that the guy has. Um, but, yeah, whether it's a Masters hangover or not, who knows? Um, Cameron Davis. Hopefully. Drew, sorry to interrupt. Cameron Davis, no, no. the other Australian in the field, uh, T25, jumped 11 spots. Uh, in the final round with a three under on Sunday. So the two Aussies making the cut for the weekend, which is good news. A quick break to hear from our good friends at Cobra Puma Golf, a leader in golf club innovation. They've unveiled the new King Tour Irons to expand their King family of player irons. The Tour Cavity back shape is manufactured using metal injection molding technology to deliver the most precise shaping with incredibly soft feel that better players desire. Building off the popularity of the King MIM wedges, Cobra is employing MIM technology to a full set of irons for the first time and reinventing the way premium irons are designed and manufactured. In addition to the MIM process, the new King Tour irons incorporate technologies that drive precision, forgiveness, and excellent feel in a player's cavity back iron. So if you're interested in feeling like well, one of the best iron players on the tour and Ricky Fowler. Look no further than the new Cobra King Tour irons with MIM technology. You can find more information at cobragolf.com.au and follow the great team at Cobra Puma Golf AU on Instagram. The other question that we had here, Drudes, uh, for tonight was around Dustin Johnson um, from Broxter, good friend of the podcast, when do you think DJ might return to last year's form? So looking at Dustin Johnson this week, where did DJ finish? I went past him before. T13, he jumped 23 spots with a 66, five under 66 in the final round. Um, inconspicuous uh, in defending his Masters title. Didn't make the weekend last week uh, mm. and hasn't really been in that, that vein of form. Um, I don't have a, a crystal ball. Uh, or one of those eight balls we used to shake and used to give you the answers. Uh, I'd love to be able to tell you, Broxter, when he goes back. What I'd, what I'd suggest is I've been burnt enough times by DJ to doubt whether he'll come back. Might necessarily be able to put a time on it, but the ease with which he won the Masters in November, um, the ease with which he won the Tour Championship, um, his performance through that period of four to five months in 2020 was incredible. Uh, yeah. And 
at a at a time when many people were struggling with the return to golf and a lack of crowds and all of the, I suppose, hoops that had to be jumped through to get the tour back on, he was um, he he was I suppose demonstrating in the most convincing of ways why he's a generational talent, one of the best golfers we've ever seen. So uh, that doesn't answer your question, Broxter. What I would say is he's going to be back, mm-hmm. uh, and I think there's. Um, I suppose signs of light in the performance across uh, across these four days. Yeah, and I think the thing we've got to remember is we're talking about four poor tournaments that he's played: WGC mm-hmm. at the concession, T fifty four players, T forty eight, the match play, T twenty eight, and Mister Cut at the Masters. As you mentioned, around that, his his form's unreal. Six mm-hmm. at the USO, T six at USO, and T two at the Houston, first at the Masters, T eleven Century, T eight Genesis jump through those crappy performances and T13 at the RBC. Like it's, it's hard to, to watch him have, have a few, you know, average weeks, but the floor that he's built for himself now is so high that that's always what we're going to measure Dustin Johnson against. Um, And I don't think that's obviously not going to be realistic and it's not going to be sustainable for him to finish in the top 10 for the rest of his, his career. So there's going to be down periods. Um, It's just whether, you know, he can ride out that storm and, and when he comes back, I don't know. I would suggest it would be sooner rather than later because the guy, in in my opinion, is still the best player on the tour at, at this point in time. So, um, yeah, it's a it's going to be sooner rather than later that he's going to be winning again, I would think. Any other names you wanted to pick out? I've got, I've got one more. Yeah, I've got one that I thought that you would have raised and that was the bloke who finished second, um, Charles Howell III. Um, you've had him on notice. Uh, sorry, no, sorry, shit. Well, I don't know. I wasn't even looking at my uh, my apologies. <laughs> the um, Harold Varner. Here's me closing down 16 other tabs that I've got up open of yeah. um, Dustin Johnson and other shitty stats. Uh, I think to be fair, Harold Varner, is this who you were going to raise? Yeah, no, but okay. uh, but I'm glad you did. I mean, to be fair to you, I think you just saw the third. Yeah, did um, Charles Howell even play? Yeah, he, he did. did. He finished finished. He had in, jumped 29 spots today with six under 65 on Sunday. Handy. Did CH3. Uh, whereas uh, HV3, uh, he was he was outstanding. Uh, four rounds in the 60s across the week. This is a, a, a guy that uh, I've seen play up close and personal. Loves the um, Australian PGA, often played on the Gold Coast, set to be played on uh, Royal Queensland up in Brisbane, which we'll get to later in this episode. He's, he's such a such a good talent when he's on. He's just firing ice sometimes. Uh, I did say in our hundredth episode that he was a bit of a roughie from kind of outside the top fifty for me to win next. Mm. And uh, yeah, went close. I mean, not overly. It's a four shot win for Sink, but he and Emiliano Grillo were probably the only two players putting the pressure on when you thought it might have been Colin Morikawa today. So yeah, Harold Vaughan, another another strong showing. I don't necessarily think uh, it was going to be at RBC Heritage, but it's going to be one of these off weeks mm. that I think he's going to jag one of these and, and he got close again, so impressive. Can I ask you a quick question before we move into the LPGA? Um, I've seen a lot of debate this week mm. uh, online. I think it was golf.com maybe. I would have to find the article and send it to you, but yes or no to banning arm lock putting. I've seen a lot of debate. I think, was it Billy Horschel that raised it? It was something, it was on golf.com. I'll see if I can find the article, but uh, while you give me the answer, but what's your take? I don't think my take's all that relevant because I think it's a matter of when, not if it is banned. I think it's coming. Um, Personally, I don't, I don't love it. Um, And I I agree. I I think it should be banned. 
Yeah, so do I. And I, I think it's going to come. So I don't think this is one of those um, toss of the coin, will they or won't they? I think it's just a, a matter of when, not if, as I say. And, and I think that would be the correct decision. Does it not seem like, I mean, we've banned belly putting and, um, you know, resting it on your sternum and all the rest of it, but does it not seem much easier than having the long putter? Like to me, if I if, if it was one of the two, you know, the, I'm just reading it here. It's on golf.com. They're talking about the um, having the, the arm lock putter as opposed to the belly putter and up into the chest and, and the long putters. The arm lock putter would seem like so much easier than having it on resting on your, your chest, right? Surely. The inherent advantage, I think, is, is the reason why it needs to be banned. Yeah, absolutely. Funny absolutely. that it comes after a couple of rounds of playing uh, with Will Zalatoris too. Isn't it? Yeah. And, and that's that's his Achilles heel. I mean, if they if they if they put a line through arm lock putting, he's he's in a bit of trouble because he showed through his college career that putting was a problem and he's found a bit of solace in the arm lock. And so it'll be interesting to see where he goes. So yeah, matter of when, not if, I think. Yeah. Just two more quick ones for me on the yes. um um the RBC Heritage. Uh, probably not a question, more of a comment. Uh Colin Morikawa still has these moments in his game. And I think mm. this is what prevents him from being, I mean, bearing in mind, still young. Um, still an awful lot of time ahead of him. Many rounds to be played in his career. But, uh, you know, we're talking about a guy who's already won a major. We're talking about a guy who constantly enters majors from this point forward in the conversation of of uh, likely to or will threaten to win. Um, but days like today are what hold him back from consistently being in the conversation in the top two or three players in the world. Because uh, yes. he got wobbly today, um, where a player of his caliber should not only have threatened but probably run over the top of Stuart Sink in this round. So, I again, agree not a question, more yeah. of a comment. But the wobbly, the wobbly wheels are are still a slight concern um, when when the whips are cracking for Colin Morikow. No, I think it's a really good take from you. Uh, last week, you spoke about the Mendoza um, and not Jesse. being able to, yeah, not being able to to break. Mm. that was Morikawa today, right? Like mm. starts with a birdie and you think, right, here we go. This is where it's all, it's all going to, all going to kick off. And then bogey's the second hole and then bogey's the fourth. And then after that, it wasn't that he continued making bogeys. It wasn't, it's just that he wasn't able to, to stop and then claw back shots. He didn't make another birdie for the rest of the, oh, he made birdie on 15, my apologies, after making a bogey on, on 14. So I, I just think that was a really good analogy that you brought up last week that I think applied to uh, Colin Morikawa when I was looking back through his round today. Good take from you. My only other one, uh, did you see Siwoo Kim's putt? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, Explain it. Explain. Yeah, for those who might have missed it, uh, was it Friday or Saturday? Uh, don't know. All blurred into one for me, mate. Yeah, I think... I think it's it not the most memorable of tournaments, the RBC. No, event. I think it might have been Friday. Anyway, he's on the second. Um, he's putting from off the green, little Texas wedge. Uh, it's a birdie putt and rolls to the lip. Mm. And you're expecting kind of the, well, I mean, I don't know if we were all expecting. See, we were certainly expecting the kind of 2005, 16th at Augusta Tiger Woods moment where it pauses and drops. Yes. And it just didn't drop which seemed remarkable given its precarious position on the lip of the hole. However, there was a prolonged wait. So playing partner was Matt Kucher. Uh, there was four people standing around the hole, Siwoo and his caddy, 
uh, Cooch and his caddy waiting, waiting up to about 45 to 50 seconds before the ball eventually dropped. Uh, enter rules official. Um, now, the rules clearly state, Drew, it's, it's, it's a 10-second period of time that you're allowed to wait before uh, needing to, to tap in. Um, so the birdie putt didn't count in the eyes of the rules official. Um, he was... He was adjudged to have uh, made a four, uh, and, and that was what was reflected on the scorecard. The only reason I bring it up uh, is probably just to get a gauge from you. Uh, the strongest person in terms of their opinion on the green was Matt Kuchar. Yeah. It's not in Matt Kuchar's interest to be pushing <laughs> for Seawoo Kim to uh, receive the birdie. And I I just want to juxtaposition this against – now, 10 seconds seems a pretty arbitrary – Number. I don't know where ten seconds came from. As if that's that's the that's the yes no point of whether or not we should accept the ball to drop. But I just put this I just put this up against a moment you know that we saw um, a couple of weeks ago now with the plugged ball incident and Patrick Reed. Now there was no video evidence. He didn't confer with his playing partner. He went against every uh, I suppose ethos or pillar of the game in terms of sportsmanship and. Not only was um, the the rules official, I suppose, backed into a corner and forced to agree with him, but then upon review of video footage after the round, there was no correction. There was no mere culpa. There was no penalty given. Mm. Uh, this this is in plain sight. We've all seen what's happened. Uh, it, it's happened, in, you know, in frame by frame action on the camera. Yes, we can't physically see the ball moving, but we've got four people there saying it has. See, we Kim you know, isn't forcing the hand of Matt Kuchar. Kuchar's the strongest voice on the green. Why is it that Siwoo Kim is is held up like some sort of criminal uh, or cheat that he shouldn't have waited that long? And yet we have a guy, we have a guy at the opposite end of the scale who consistently flaunts the rules. We've mm. had video evidence of it and, and has, a, has a hall pass for all intents and purposes. I completely agree. I think you've nailed that, nailed that assessment. Uh, of it and, it and it was a farce it was a real farce to watch and 10 seconds is is such a bullshit amount of time right like like what happened who's timing that and how precise yeah. are we on the 10 seconds like what happens if the ball rolls in at 10 and a half seconds are we coming in and penalizing the player like who's the official timer of of that secondly the rule so as the letter of the law the outcome was the right one Right, like we we agree on that. Yes. Yeah. Whether that's correct or not, I personally don't think that that, that that's the way that it should have been. Right. Like, surely if the ball is still moving, how can that ten second start? Like, if the ball's still moving. Like, if it's rolling right. down the fairway, you can't you can't say that. Oh, there's ten seconds. Like, I I just didn't understand that, and they're going well. You know, there was no one there. Like you could, you could barely see it on the on the camera. Like I was trying my hardest to watch it, and you couldn't really tell. But I mean, you've got four people there. I mean, I don't, I don't know what the solution is. Whether you have to have a rules official at every bloody walking around with every group. I mean, maybe that's the maybe that's the the outcome that we need to get to. But I think that that rule just has to be completely blown up and changed because I felt for Siwoo very much. I thought Matt Kuchar did a great job of jumping in, um, you know, obviously a little bit of PR work to do for Matt Kuchar on his own behalf, but um, I, I just thought the rule in itself is just absolute shit, right? Like, 
I felt for him because like, it was a bloody good putt. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And to your point, when are we starting the 10 seconds? Mm. Like, are we basing that off the broadcast? Because the rules official isn't on the green. You got four guys vehemently in agreement that the ball was still moving who were actually there. And you've got a guy coming in, Johnny come lately at the end. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's just, it seems such an odd, odd. But the, the, the biggest thing is that you had Matt Kuchar saying, mm. The ball was still moving. The ball was still moving, right? Like if Siwoo Kim was pleading his case and, you know, Matt Kuchar just like walked off to the next tee, like I think that would be very different. You've, you've got a guy who he's competing against for money, essentially, uh, saying, you know, that th- this, is, this is what's still going on. And he, yeah, it was just, I thought it, I thought it was complete and utter garbage the way that it was handled. Um, I think, Ultimately, letter of the law, the decision was the one that that sort of goes against the book, and I and I definitely get that. But I think the rule needs to be reviewed, um, and I don't know I don't know what the solution is, and that's what people in Pontevedra get paid to do. Jay Monahan can come up with a solution to it, but um, I just feel like that that's that it just needs to be reviewed, right? Like, great. We'll interrupt the pod just there to bring you an important message from our friends at Future Golf. Australia's largest golfing community for younger players, providing access to some of the very best courses in the country. Your membership includes free rounds, over 100 discounted green fees Australia-wide, a free pro lesson, an ex-golf simulator session, and of course, the all-important Golf Australia Handicap. The best part, though, is the price. 19th Tee listeners get a huge 20% off any future golf membership with the promo code, the 19th Tee. So if you're looking for a place to play without the jacket and tie, Look no further than our great mates at Future Golf. Head to futuregolf.com.au forward slash join and don't forget to use the 19th T promo code for a huge 20% off. Future Golf, play your way. Anything Let's else from on. RBC? <laughs> no, no, I think that's it for me. I think, uh, as you say, it was a relatively dull tournament, to be fair. So, <laughs> so congratulations. Victim of scheduling, right? Yeah, congratulations, Stuart. I think we certainly didn't get the blood pumping for me. What did Droids? Mm. Uh, is what happened over on the LPGA at the, and I don't know if this is the Lot or the Lottie. I'm called, I called it the, oh God, I don't know, I was going the Lot. Yeah, I'm going to go the Lot Championship at the, that sounds good, Kabbalah Golf Course. Uh, Lydia Ko, a most convincing of winners, seven strokes over a field of four, uh, and Drude's launches herself back into a conversation in which she so comfortably sits. I mean, this is a person we sleep an awful lot on Lydia Ko, given uh, how long it has been, but uh, have a, have have a listen to this for a stat wins before the age of 19 on LPGA history, Lydia Ko 12, every other player, all time combined 13. She was an elite talent yet it has been so long i mean talk about a run of drought baking victories uh, valero texas opened two weeks ago jordan spieth first win in 1351 days masters last week kadeki matsuyama first win in 1344 days lydia ko today lot championship first win in 1084 days that's absurd. how long it's been absurd it's absurd almost as absurd as one bogey in 72 holes of golf. Drudes, 
uh, taking that further, how's the last 90 holes? I've stumbled across this stat from Justin Ray today. Last 90 holes of competition for Lydia Coe, so last five rounds of golf, 38 under par, 42.2% birdies or better, more than 86% greens in regulation, and a scoring average of 64.4 in her last 90 holes. This was inevitable. Not a question. It was a matter of time. It's just absurd, right? Like, it's absurd how consistently good that golf is, really. Like, and, and we, don't, we don't see that in the men's game. You know, we, don't, we, we see, uh, you know, we see like a lot of, a lot of birdies, but then there'll be some big, par, uh, big bogeys that will roll up and score cards or look like Allen's all sorts, as we like to put it. But Lydia Ko, to put together four rounds or five rounds, right? But specifically, if we're talking about this tournament, four rounds with one bogey to finish a tournament at 28 under par, seven shots ahead of Imbi Park, if you don't mind, and a bunch of others, including Nelly Quarter, but Imbi Park and Nelly Quarter. Like that's it's a phenomenal effort. And I don't think people have understood how good this week was. And to walk away with $300,000 for that effort is absolutely criminal, to be honest. It's just so good to see her back where she belongs through. It's, yeah, uh, definitely. I think, you know, it's, it, she has been on, geez, we spoke about the depths of Jordan Spieth's trip to the wilderness. She has been kind of the opposite in the sense that he stuck consistent with those around him. She's um, she's changed coaches and instructors like clothes, has mm. Lydia Coe to find the right combination to get her back to the very top. But she's back there. And it's interesting, like we talk about the similar drought to Jordan Spieth. We talk about the similar depths to Jordan Speed. The career comparison's fascinating, Dreads. I stumbled across uh, this from Golf TV. So uh, let me walk you through the numbers. Um, turn professional, Co 2013, Speed 2012. Rookie of the year, Co 2014, Speed 2013. Player of the year, both in the same year in 2015. Uh, LPGA or PGA Tour wins, Co 16, Speed 12. Uh, LPGA or PGA Tour top 10s, Co 87, Speed 71. Major victories, two for Co, three for Spieth. Major top 10s, 13 for Co, 11 for Spieth. Weeks at world number one, this is where we see a bit of separation. 104 for Co, 26 for Spieth. Uh, and as we said, days between uh, last two victories, 1,054 for Co, 1,351 for Spieth. It's a remarkable career comparison. That's... It's pretty scary mm. <laughs> when you put it you put it together. Down to the the, the drought that they've both gone through. It's it's yeah. crazy. Yeah, well, I guess that's the the ebbs and flows of golf, right? I guess like that's just highlighting that. Uh, now speaking of droughts, and and that's all we had to the LPJ. Unless mm. you had anything further, roots? No, 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 no. Push on. We spoke about the the droughts of Spieth, Matsuyama, and Co. Uh, each of them. Uh, comfortably over a thousand days pale into insignificance uh, to the drought of Martin Keimer. Yes. And the reason I bring this up is uh, Martin Keimer was somewhat in contention on the European tour today. Uh, it would have been his first worldwide win in 2,499 days since the 2014 US Open had he gone on to win at the Diamond Country Club in the Austrian Open, Druids. Yeah, pretty uh, pretty cool tournament to watch too. It looked absolutely freezing over there. Um, didn't have any envy of being over there, but uh, yeah, pretty pretty good tournament. Uh, John Catlin ending up winning that in a playoff over um, 
over the German whose name they kept, call, they kept calling him uh, Max Kiefer, but I would have much preferred if they had uh, called him Maximilian, his full name, as, yes. as you mentioned, Martin Keimer, finishing at 11 under in third. But T7 as well, Austin Batista, uh, the Aussie. Effort. Yeah, pretty bloody Enormous handy effort. effort. Yeah. Which is, uh, I believe, his highest uh, place finish on the European Tour. So a name to watch, Austin Batista. Uh, he's done well there in very difficult conditions, as uh, as you well pointed out. There's only one other uh, thing I wanted to point out about the European Tour. I don't know if you saw this, but uh, Thomas Detry mm-hmm. is a, a German, uh, plays a relatively high standard of golf on the European Tour. Drudes, he had, uh, well, he had quite the remarkable scorecard. Uh, from from the weekend. Uh, have a listen to this. So round one, two under, 70. Round two, two over, 74. Round three, par, 72. Not too bad for the week. Round four, 10 over, 82. <laughs> How's the finish? Oh, 14 was where it all really unraveled. It hadn't been too bad up until the back nine, and then we went... Uh, what do we do on the back nine? Bogey, par, double, birdie, we claw it back, and then a 10 on the par three, 14th. Yeah, not ideal. A wipe. But relatable. Unbelievable for Tom Stetry. <laughs> Very much I relatable. Think, I think you nailed it on the head. Um, they are probably the most relatable thing I've seen uh, <laughs> at the pro level for some time is a 10 on a par three. Yeah. <laughs> It's always the par three, though, isn't it, where you get a 10? You're just like, yeah. oh, shit. Just gets away from you a bit. What's that one What's that one at Joondal Up that I struggled on? The one with All the big, uh, Yeah, the one, no, the one with the big chasm in between uh, T-Box and Green. 11. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's been a few 10s there. Oh, no, no, no. Seven. Seven. Yeah. yeah after the, uh, yeah. yeah after Go the back one. and watch Backspinners episode two if you'd like to know what Kieran's talking about. <laughs> I think I picked my ball up after a period of time. <laughs> no, you couldn't pick your ball up because I'm over the fucking chasm. Uh, Drew, so now just before we go, some great news uh, out of, in terms of Australian golf out of the Australian PGA with the PGA Championship moving to early December for 2021. Mm. Of course, uh, we won't uh, reopen Pandora's box and go into our thoughts on the cancelled events from the summer just gone, but good to see um, the PGA commit early and commit to a time, Drudes, early December, first week of December, in which we should see not only um, Australians from overseas come back home, but potentially draw a few big names given the gap in scheduling at that time of the year. Absolutely. I think it's a uh, – look, I'm hoping it's a bit of a strategic move from the – from the Oz PGA and, and they start to, to put some, uh, you know, put their commercial team to work and get some funding for this because um, there, there should be some really interesting international talent available at that point in time, as you pointed out. So it'll be fascinating to see who they target, who they, who they really make a play for. Um, but I, I guess regardless this year, I think people are going to be very keen to see golf um, happen. I think they would, you know, they definitely need to, to try and get the, the likes of, um, Smith and Scott and Day and and Leishman back um, and and hopefully they do so because uh, obviously a couple of good events around that time with the, with the Aussie Open as well so uh, be very very interesting to see how it all turns out at uh, at Royal Queensland there so hopefully we'll be there all things going well I might be caddying <laughs> maybe just start with the Queensland Open first. 
You just hold the sign up out front when they start arriving for the practice rounds. Anyway, you can walk okay. around with the sign, the score sign or something. Yeah. I might be doing some uh, live updates. We'll see. We, we, I mean, it's, it's only April this year yeah, to bring anything for us. And that's the problem. But that's the scary part too is uh, it's fantastic yeah. that this has been put in. Uh, but, I mean, I'm obviously not going to get too excited about anything until sort of November comes or even the event day because, as we've seen, borders can close very quickly and cities can go into lockdown and all the rest of it. So I'm, uh, I'm not getting too far ahead out over my skis at this point in time. I tend to agree, my friend. Now, I've probably only got uh, one more thing I'd like to raise. Yes, I just want to raise very quickly the uh, the Australian juniors were on um, yes. over the uh, weekend as well. Shout out to Jeffrey Guan and Janith Wong, who took out the uh, the the boys and girls category respectively. Um, it was a a very good couple of tournaments there. Jeffrey. Um, uh, from the Australian in New South Wales, they're beating Aldrig Potgeiter from Joondalup uh, over here in WA by one shot. And uh, Janeth Wong, well, she really put them all to the sword. Uh, she finished even par. She's from Metro, uh, finishing even par with a three over today. Um, and uh, Amelia Winnie was the next best golfer in that field at five over par from the, uh, from the Grange. So pretty handy couple of performances from two very, very strong rising stars. Jeffrey Guan can hit a golf ball. Yeah, he. Uh, I think I saw a thing from you and Porter today that he drove the three hundred meter green to like six feet or twelve feet or something. Mm. Yeah, scary golfer. What have you got to finish with? Well, Drews, we got a bit of feedback in the last couple of days mm. uh, via the old Instagram direct message um, from a very loyal listener to this podcast, which uh, we we. Wanted to finish the show on this week because it's always nice to receive feedback like this and it's always nice to share it with our, our burgeoning community here at the 19th Tee. Uh, you would probably hear the name Dane M. Sutty uh, semi-regularly, uh, one of the frequent questionnaires uh, each and every week and a fantastic supporter of the 19th Tee. He sent us through uh, a photo of a scorecard, his scorecard in fact, Yesterday afternoon, the message reads uh, as follows. I have to give thanks to you guys for your podcast and the motivation it's given me weekly for the last 12 months or so. I've been listening to get me right back into my game and be as passionate as I am for golf again. I've played all my golf in, and I apologize if I get this wrong, Gulgawi for the past 15 years since I started as a 14-year-old junior. And I've looked at the course record sign on the wall every Saturday. I've played there and have wanted to break that record more than anything. And yesterday, I broke it by a shot a record that stood for over 40 years. Thank you for the work you guys do. It's much more than just two mates chatting about golf. Um, that's a, I mean, that's a, that's a special message to receive. Mm. First and foremost, a pretty fucking special round of golf. I'm, I'm looking at it here. 17 putts in total is ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's I've had absurd. 17 putts in like four holes before. Yes, that's absurd. Uh, um, what am I reading here? Out in... What was he out in thirty three? Out in mm. yeah, out in thirty three, in in thirty four. Yes, yeah. forty five Stableford points. That's handy work from Dane and Sally. So first and foremost, incredibly special round of golf, and I think for us uh, to think that we would play any part at all in the breaking of a forty year course record simply by uh, waxing lyrical. Uh, here on on Monday and Thursday evenings is absurd. Um, so to receive that sort of feedback that 
that this little podcast um, does things above and beyond what we probably ever anticipated it would do is is wonderful to hear. So a big congratulations to Dane on the course record and and, and thanks not only for your support but for your feedback. It uh, it means a lot to uh, to these two these two dribbling idiots. Correct. Absolutely. Congratulations to Dane. Um, been a massive supporter of the podcast since day one. Bought uh, all the merch that we've put out as well, which uh, I know he reps on the course very regularly, which is which is fantastic. And probably um, one of the few lefties that listens to this podcast as well. This is true too. Anyway, so. flushes a ball, hits a ball real nicely. I think he yeah. plays off three. Um, yeah. So put us to the sword. Clearly, can hit a ball. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to just uh, anyone who has ordered uh, merchandise, it will be in the mail. Uh, it's been a busy couple of couple of days uh, trying to sort this shit house golf swing out. Uh, so I promise I'll get that in the mail. Thanks to everyone who uh, who purchased something during the Masters sale. There are still some shirts and hats left, but it will be on its way very very soon. It's also coming from Western Australia, so yeah, add another six weeks. Too. Yeah, Marky Mark's got it locked down pretty uh, pretty airtight over there. I think we're already uh, partway through the secession plan from the nation. So, Too right. Get your merchandise now because it'll be an international freight soon enough. <laughs> if, uh, Premier McGowan's got anything to do with it. Chairman McGowan. Uh, uh, anyway, good. before we get cut off on the airways um, <laughs> from dear leader, uh, Drew's it's been it's been wonderful to have your company. Really looking forward to the chat later this week with. Well, potentially the most promising golf swing we have in the country in terms mm. of future prospects, and that's Elvis Smiley. Uh, Correct. A, a junior and amateur career that took all before him, the recent decision to turn pro, plans to head to Europe in, in the coming months, uh, and a young man who incredibly impressive um, for his age mm. in terms of his maturity. Uh, just bear in mind that we did record that just after the Masters. So there's a bit of talk at the top uh, about the Masters, uh, which will sound odd if you think we... <laughs> recorded it on Thursday night. So it's been in the bank um, for a couple of days now. We're looking forward to bringing you that. And then next week, uh, Druids, one of one of the most slept on, I would think, um, players and names in Australian golfing history, one of the greatest women golfers we've ever produced. Mm-hmm. Um, just so happened that she got her timing uh, woefully wrong because <laughs> she came through at the same time as as Australia's greatest of all time and Kari Webb. So Shaney War has an incredible story, um, not just what she achieved on the international stage, but what she continues to give back to uh, junior golf, particularly in the southwest region of Western Australia. So really looking forward to having uh, Shaney War on for a chat as well. Yeah, she was an absolute ripper. Um, yeah, just speaks about her career and everything that uh, that she's doing in the game very funny as well i think people will uh, will enjoy it if you think that you were potentially going to skip over that episode i certainly encourage you not to because it's a uh, it's a very very good episode it talks about the highs and lows of of golf and playing alongside the likes of Curry Webb and Annika Sorenstam and a bunch of others as well playing in a, Julie Insta. yes playing in the final uh, grouping of a US Open as well very very good chat I think straight shooter would adequately describe Shaney War. Yes. I look forward to going down and playing uh, at Bunbury with her because, yeah, it's a uh, tough golf course and I reckon she would, she'd sort me out, I reckon. Yeah, probably, yeah. She's, she, there's some elements of your swing that might uh, turn her stomach, to be fair, but I'm, I'm sure it's a couple of hours spent with her, she'd point you in the right direction, my friend. We're improving. I had 36 points at Wembley the other week. Hey. Um, so that, that was nice. And then I went out and had six, six top uh, three, <laughs> six top three wins at Marangaroo on oh, the driving mate. range. So it'll do you. Highs and lows. All right, mate. 
Pleasure done. as always. Look yes. forward to being uh, back with you and back in the ears of our listeners in the next uh, few days. Uh, don't forget Elvis Smiley later in the week. And we'll be back next Monday to uh, do it all again. Thanks for your company. 